Thank you, Michael. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Jesus appears to the disciples. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have come to believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious God, we ask that you would allow the words to come. Point to the word made flesh in Jesus our Christ, for it is in his name we pray. Amen. Anne Lamont is a Christian writer, and I find her to be very thoughtful in her expressions of faith. And one of the things that I love about Anne Lamont is that she is very willing to be real. She didn't begin as a Christian. She came to Christianity very slowly. She writes in Traveling Mercies. My coming to faith did not start with a leap, but rather a series of staggers from what seemed like one safe place to another. Like lily pads, round and green, these places summoned and then held me up while I grew. Each prepared me for the next leaf on which I would land. And in this way, I moved across the swamp of doubt and fear. You know, Christian faith is like that, isn't it? We want to believe, but some of the claims that we make as Christians are really difficult to digest. We want proof. We all like proof of things, don't we? And if we're to be truly honest, on some level, the resurrection is a hard thing to take in, to digest, to believe. And I think that's why we like Thomas. We love Thomas. Seeing is believing Thomas, doubting Thomas. The original prove it to me, Thomas. I don't think that there's anyone who doesn't like Thomas because each one of us is like Thomas. And here he is again like clockwork, showing up the week after Easter. Every year this time, Thomas appears in churches as we settle into the reality of a risen Christ. And as we settle into that reality, we wonder, can this be true? Thomas was the original doubter. If someone questions a story in our society, we are called a doubting Thomas. And yet when it comes to the story of the resurrection, who among us has not at one point wondered, how can I believe this? How can I believe in this resurrection thing? 
How can I believe that a dead man came to life and rose from the dead and walked among us and appeared in lockdown rooms among disciples who were self-distancing themselves for fear of being arrested? It seems incredibly unrealistic, doesn't it? And what does it all mean that a person has risen from the dead? You know, this is why we need Thomas, and I'm thankful for Thomas. In some ways, I think that Thomas gets a bad rap. The scripture evidence doesn't lean toward a disbelieving Thomas. Rather, it leans toward a man who has a deep belief. Thomas is actually a very passionate guy. When a message came to Jesus that Lazarus was sick unto death, the disciples tried to persuade him not to venture near Jerusalem. And Thomas, out of fear for Jesus' safety, says, Rabbi, the authorities are going to seek to stone you there. Why are you going there again? But when Jesus is going, and there's no turning him back, it is Thomas who says quite forcefully, let us also go that we may die with him. This is a man who has no fear. During Jesus' final discourse, he talks about eternal hope and the mansions that are being prepared by him, and it's a beautiful metaphor upon metaphor, and he ends, and when I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas looks at Jesus and says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And that in that, Jesus' discourse changes rapidly, and he says, quite frankly, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you look at our text this morning, it is Thomas who delivers one of the earliest confessions of the church when he says to the resurrected Jesus, my Lord and my God. There is no clearer or purer response in faith than that passionate one, a confession that Jesus is his Lord and God. But for some reason, we don't remember Thomas for any of these other acts that he performs. Instead, he will forever be known as Doubting Thomas. But isn't that why we like him? You know, a few years ago, and I know that I've used this before, people were horrified. Maybe others were reassured when the journals of Mother Teresa exposed these doubts about her faith. Or maybe we were horrified and reassured at the same time. For me, there was comfort in knowing that at least one other faithful follower was able to question. And that faithful follower was no less than Mother Teresa. If someone that faithful could doubt, then there must be hope for me when I have my questions and doubts. You know, that's why I love Thomas. Thomas becomes us in his question. He wants more than a secondhand report. He wants his own experience because Thomas missed it. He wasn't there when the sudden appearance of the risen Christ came and entered through the locked doors. He wasn't there to hear the assurance, peace be with you. He didn't hear the commission to stop hiding, go out, do my work, forgive and be forgiven, invite people into new life. Who knows why Thomas left, but when he did get back, perhaps knocking on the door with a secret knock, he found his friends babbling that Jesus had been there, had spoken to them, shown them his wounds. Let that sink in. Here he is, Thomas, 
entering the room with the other disciples and hearing the story that Jesus had appeared physically to this congregation of disciples. Do you think he wondered if they were drunk? Do you think that he questioned their mental stability? Yeah, sure, you saw a dead man walking. Sure, you've seen a risen Christ. I don't think that's the case at all. I don't think that this is a matter of cynicism. Thomas isn't scoffing. He is agonizing. More than anyone on this day, Thomas would love to see the risen Christ. He would love to link the one that the disciples saw, the risen Christ, with the one who was crucified. Thomas is aching to believe. Thomas didn't doubt that his friends had saw someone, something. Maybe he thought it was a phantom or an apparition or a hallucination. He feared it could not be, would not be true. Thomas was like all of us. How many of us would love to believe above anything else that someone that we have loved who has died could live again? How many of us would love to experience beyond anything else to have just one more conversation with someone that we have loved and who has died? How many of us would give anything for that experience? How many of us have stood beside the casket of a loved one in a funeral home? How many of us would give anything to be assured that that loved one is still alive, maybe even more so today? And so Thomas stands in for all of us as he gets his proof. His doubt ends up leading to his faith. He declares his hunger for physical proof of the resurrection and declares that he just needs a little bit more. He needs to touch the hands of Jesus to put his finger in his side. And then he would be willing to believe. And Jesus appears and gives Thomas exactly what he needed. Just as Jesus gives us what we need if we but ask. The problem is not our doubts. Paul Tillich says that doubt is a necessary part of faith, a necessary tension. The trouble comes in not moving through doubt to be open to faith. Thomas Burton says that it's not the suppression of doubt, it is the overcoming of doubt, the struggling doubt. It is the seeking and opening and receiving. Anne Lamont continues in her book, I have a lot of faith, but I'm also afraid a lot and have no real certainty about anything. I remembered something Father Tom had told me that the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness, and discomfort, and letting it be there until some light returns. Doubt is a place to pass through until we see the light. The poet Maria Rilke urges, if we keep asking the questions, we will live into the answers. You know, our gospel reading today is not even about doubt. It's not really about Thomas. It's really about the risen Jesus and his willingness to accept us right where we are, to come to us in any way that we need, to offer us the transforming power of Easter 
and the guaranteed presence of Christ in our lives. The focus is not on the doubt or the fear and despair and confusion. It's upon the amazing power of Jesus to overcome our barriers to belief, to come through our locked doors and to continue the mission that he began during his earthly visit. Belief is more than what is happening in our mind. A person who believes gives, one, gives one's whole self to something. And we see Thomas do this when he encounters the risen Christ. Wendy Wright has written, to believe something in a religious sense is, simply, is not simply to hold an opinion. It is to let that something sink down into the marrow of your bones and form the structure of your life. To believe something is to let its affirmation become the inhalation and exhalation of your life's breath. Belief does not exclude doubt or intellectual curiosity. But belief is not exhausted in doubting or curiosity. To believe in something is to let it transform your life. You know, we haven't learned all that quickly from Thomas. You know, every day we believe in things that we can't see or prove. Concrete things that we think that we can count on. We have insurance policies that we think, we think will protect us but are denied coverage because we didn't read some fine print. We believe in investing in building stock portfolios and give a safety net until a virus makes the market do an about-face. We trust in advertised products that are supposed to make us younger and we still age. We believe in the power of hard work and yet many lose their jobs. We put friends and family over meditation or prayer or church time and we forget to ask for the presence and power of the risen Christ. We forget to let our doubts inform us and propel us instead of derailing us. You know, there's an old New Yorker magazine cartoon that shows a large door, and it's locked with heavy bolts reinforced by sturdy chains, and just to make sure, a long bar is securely fastened across the door frame. And yet, if you look very closely underneath it, Someone has managed to slip a valentine under the door. You know, God slips those valentines under the door of our disbelief. And more than that, God calls us to unbolt the door of our hearts and to allow God to come in. God's Son, Jesus, is patiently knocking on the doors of our hearts. But the latch is on, on the inside where we control it. Will you let God in? Will we let God into our lives? You know, I heard a friend once tell a story about his child coming home from school, and he said something very profound. You know, we can do brain surgery and investigate the parts of the brain, and we can do a CAT scan and see the brain patterns in our heads, but no one can prove that you've had a single thought today. You know, some things don't need empirical proof. Some things we just live into. Martin Luther wrote, faith does not require information, knowledge, and certainty, but a free surrender and a joyful bet on God's unfelt, untried, and unknown goodness. May we believe in the one who came not just under the door, but through the door of our own hearts. And may that enable us to rejoice with the prisoner who scribbled a poem 
on the barrack walls of a Warsaw concentration camp. I believe in the sun, even when it doesn't shine. I believe in love, even if I don't feel it. I believe in God, even if I can't see God. Or maybe Jesus said it best when he said it to Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Amen.